to display a, a kind of love to the world that can't be explained, that you would ignite our hearts this morning. Thank you. Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, right at the end of the chapter, verse 28, and then we're going to read through 3.3 here in a minute. We all love the Christmas story, right? I mean, I think if you don't like the Christmas story, even if you're a pagan, there's something wrong with you. Uh, But there's something about the Christmas story that ignites our hearts as believers. Um, Part of it is we recognize that it's history. It occurred in the past, but it's also our story. The Christmas story is our story. What happened on that Bethlehem morning, whenever, whatever time of year, whatever year it occurred, it is part of who we are. It's the reality that God is love. It's, it's the truth that love came down in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's the life-changing message that because he first loved us, we can love others. All of those things that, if we're not careful, become trite phrases, need to be real truths in our lives. The fact that it occurred in the past in his history makes it a reality. It, it actually occurred. The fact that it becomes our story means that we have to receive it for ourselves. It can be a story, but a story is not our story. The, the reality that God is love portrays the truth that, that we have the ability to love because he is love and we're created in his image. The truth that love came down in the person of Jesus Christ is, is the, the, the God incarnate. If God is love, Jesus is God, Jesus is love. His ability to set aside all his God privileges and to come to earth to die for us is a life-changing message that, that now means we are ridiculously in love with others. If you want to work backwards, you can. Not to get legalistic, but the truth that John tries to portray in the book of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John is this. If you say you love God but don't love your brothers, don't love others, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. Now, I would never say that. You know, I mean, I, I would never say, you know what? If you're not loving other people well, you know, but you say you love God, well, the simple truth is you're a liar. Yeah, it seems a little harsh, John, uh, to be uh, jumping, on that, jumping on that wagon right now. But that's, that's really the truths that John is getting to in this whole 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John is that God's love so radically changes us that but we can't help but love other people. And if we have a love problem then there might be an issue of transformation that needs to take place within our hearts and our lives. I have to be honest with you. This is one of the things that, for me personally, keeps me up at night. The idea of, am I loving other people well? And if I'm not loving other people well, if I'm still so self-centered, then it is 
is it because that the love of God hasn't transformed me to the point that God wants me to be? So what do I do? Well, I think I just need to keep receiving in faith the fact that God is love, that Jesus Christ came to transform me. His presence now dwells in me. And if I'll just give myself to him, I can love people better. I can love others better. It's, it's a crazy kind of love. There's a, there's a historian in the third century by the name of Eusebius um, who, one of the first early Christian historians. And he writes of the apostle John. Now, he's writing 100 to 150 years after probably John has died. But he's writing uh, about John. And John had been on the Patmos, had come out of exile. So when he's off the Patmos, he's an old man. He's gone back to Ephesus where he's the bishop of Ephesus. He's gone out and he started establishing um, churches in the area around Ephesus, putting in bishops and elders in various churches. And he goes into one church where he establishes bishops and elders. He sees a young man who's, who's really strong and, and very young and vital. And he, he witnesses to him. The young man becomes a Christian. John starts discipling him, but John is not uh, going to stay there long. He's still traveling around. So he says to the guy he has established as bishop of this little town, hey, I want you to take this young man and I want you to disciple him. I'm going to come back in a while and I'll check on him and I'll disciple him a little more. But until I get back, he's in your charge. John goes away for a while. He comes back. He's even older by now. And he goes into the town and he says to the bishop as he's talking with him, where's the young man I gave you to, to, to disciple? Bishop says, he's dead. John is startled and said, he's dead. The bishop says, well, under God he's dead. He's gone away and he's gone back to his life of being a, a robber and he's in the mountains with a gang. And John says to the bishop, get me a horse. And the old man gets on the horse and he rides up into the mountains where no one else will go, right into where they told him the robbers will be. The robbers come to him and say, we're going to take you to our, our encampment. And John goes, great, that's where I want to go anyway. Take me to the people who are in charge. And as they bring him up to the place where he's in charge, the young man who is now one of the leaders of this gang looks at John his eyes get big and he jumps up and he runs away. And John, this old man, chases after him saying, where are you going? Why are you running from me? The young man turns and breaks down and starts weeping and says, I abandoned my God. And John basically says to him, your God still loves you. Come back to him. And he says to the young man, why were you running from an old man like me? And he said, because the love of God was pursuing me. You see, I, I don't know that we have that kind of love that would pursue in a very difficult or challenging situation. We have a kind of love that's all puffy and kitty cats and clouds and, you know, just really, it's that ethereal kind of, I don't know, emotional love. 
But God is calling us to a love that pursues. It pursues others. It pursues others not not to offend, but almost to the point of offense. If you had a child that went off the rails, would you not pursue them? If you had a close friend who, who needed the direction of the Lord, would you not pursue them? If you have a fellow disciple in the body of Christ, the family of faith, who has stepped out, would we not pursue them? It's the kind of love that pursued us when we were far from God. Let's look at John and see what he says to us about this. I'm going to read the passage and then I'm going to work backwards in the passage um, to, to talk about some truths that I see about God's love. So 1 John 2, 28 says, And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, he may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope, and we talked about hope, remember last week? All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Let's look at this backwards, so to speak, and see some of the truths about uh, the love of God. The first is that receiving love is, in truth, it's a miracle. I mean, I I don't know what else to call it other than a miracle of the grace of God, that God loves us. Look what John says. He says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. That that phrase, what great love, it it is an idiomatic phrase as I understand it in the Greek. In the King James... It says this, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. You know, we have all sorts of idiomatic phrases, and they don't translate very well when you go to other places. Like if you go somewhere other than here in America, and you say, it's raining cats and dogs. You know what I mean? It's, they, don't, they don't get it. Um, I, I, started, I, I started preaching one time on a it's just a difference in language, but when I was in Ghana one time, I started preaching a, a sermon on uh, the detours of life, and that when you, you, there are times where things get in our way, and we have these detours, and we come to these detours, and, we, and God has a plan and a purpose. I was really going on about the detour, and the whole sermon was based on the detours of life, and I could tell by the faces of the people, they had no clue what I was talking about. That you could, when you're going through a translator and you're preaching, there are times I can tell when you fall asleep. I can tell when I've lost you. And, um, but in this case, I could tell they were totally confused because they're talking to each other, the Ghanaians were. And I finally just stopped preaching, and it was a big crowd. And I finally, and I said, the detours of life. And he's like, I don't know what a detour is. 
And I said, you know, you're driving along and you come to a place in the road and they're doing construction and you have to turn and go away and, oh, a diversion. I was in British territory and didn't know it. They'd never heard of the word detour. They'd heard it. So I said, I'm going to preach on the diversions of life today. My friend Donald Master, he's an old man now. He's still alive, still going. He used, he's from West Virginia. He'd use these idiomatic phrases in Ghana. And I, you would just see people get totally, because like one time he's trying, you know, it's like trying to push rope up a river. You can just see the look on their faces like, pushing a rope up? You cannot push a rope up a river. And, I, and uh, that's what the translator is. You cannot push a rope up. Exactly. That's the point. <laughs> Behold, what manner of love is this? He's saying like, what country is this love from? What planet? What world is this? Con- this love is so unbelievable, it's really indescribable. What manner of love is this that God has bestowed it upon us? It is a miracle to even describe this love and how unbelievable it is. Charles Wesley, brother of John Wesley, they were ordained into the Church of England and had been sent on a mission trip to, uh, at the time, Savannah, Georgia, the, the the penal colony of Georgia. They had been sent there. Um, that's what it was. Sorry, Georgians. Um, and so they sent them, and they just were, they did terrible. They were awful missionaries. They were like the worst. They got discouraged, and they just left. And on the way back, uh, John meets a group of Moravian brethren, and um, he gets saved. You know, it's really better if you're saved before the mission trip uh, rather than get discouraged on the mission trip and then get saved on the way home, that's when you realize, well, hey, maybe I really wasn't really doing this right. It's better you get saved at some point, before, during, or after, but I prefer before. Charles, back in England, once they got back there, he was reading the book of Galatians, and he too gets saved. Now, these guys are already ordained as ministers in the church. And they become to know the Lord. And John, of course, becomes this great preacher that establishes Methodism. And his brother Charles writes somewhere between three and 6,000 hymns, depending on who you, uh, who you read. But according to tradition, the first hymn he wrote right after he got saved was this. And I love this text probably as much as any hymn that I know. It's called, And Can It Be?, And can it be that my clicker would work? Here we go. Yeah, I knew that was going to happen. Now you know the second point. Hey, would you help me, Griff? I I just can't get this going. There it is. Here's the the verse. Um, I'm sorry. I'm at the very end now. I need you to go back like 10 spaces. I'm giving you a preview of what's to come in the sermon, by the way. This is it. And this is the first verse of this hymn that he wrote right after he comes to know the Lord. It says, and can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? I know the language is a little tricky, but he's saying, how is this possible? That the Savior's blood, I I should gain something as a result of that. Died for me, who caused this pain? For me, 
who him to death pursued? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? He sees this miracle of love as the fact that God died for his sins and that it was for his sins that God died. It's an incredible love, and it is a miracle that we have this love. The second point is this. Receiving love shows us how to know God. It's not just that we have this miracle of love that we get to receive. It's, it's that the love of God, through the love of God, we get to know God. Again, 1 John 3.1 says, See what great love, what incredible love, the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. For, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Why do we purify ourselves? The answer is right there. Why do we purify ourselves? Because he is pure. In other words, I think John is building on this, why do we love other people? Because God is love. We know God through love. And the things that we know about God are going to translate into who we are. But if we want to know God, receiving his love shows us him. It shows us how to know him. Now, I could stay here for a while, but I want to say that honestly, you can know about God by studying about God, but if you want to really know God, not just know about God, then you have to receive his love into your life. You have to receive him as the one who forgives your sins, as the one who is Lord of your life. There's a difference between knowing about, that's religion to me, Versus relationship, knowing him, knowing him intimately. And many times we journey just far enough to know about something rather than knowing it. So, named Sheriller in Ethiopia, and it, it, they'll tell you after a year and a half, they don't really know Ethiopia. I mean, they do. They know it better than you do, Right? I mean, we know Ethiopia is the Horn of Africa. It's a big country. It's, it's African. You know, we, I've, been there for like, I've been there for like 10 days, so I know a little bit about Ethiopia, but I don't really know the country. They're living there, and because they live there, they're going to get to know it. But it is a lifetime of getting to know. One of my favorite uh, books, and I always say favorite. I know I have a ton of favorites, so thank you for bearing with me. But is this book called Windows of the Soul. It's by an author uh, named Ken Geyer. And it's, it's about 25 years old. And the, the premise of the book, if you ever really want to read a great devotional book that will just open your heart and mind, just the way he writes, he's basically saying there are different windows in your life, that the love of God shines through. And all of us have actually different windows. For some people, literature is a window 
into our souls. If you read, it, it shows something of God. For other people, nature is a window. For other people, music is a window. He just talks about the various windows, and he lists them and talks about examples. It's a, it's a really, it's a great, I just love the way he uses language. I generally don't read these longer quotes, but I want you to listen to what Ken Geyer says, because I think there's an element here about receiving the love of God in our lives. He says, the purpose, excuse me, the pursuit of self is what most of us have been doing for much of our lives, even our spiritual lives. But the self is a cul-de-sac, and eventually we end up where we started, footsore and just as frustrated, just as unfulfilled, feeling we're a failure or worse, a fraud. The pursuit of soul, if soul is all we're pursuing, is not much different. It's a longer walk down a nicer street, but the street is still a cul-de-sac. And in the end, regardless how invigorating the walk, it doesn't lead beyond the neighborhood of who we are. Do you understand what he's saying? Many of us are pursuing self. It's just a little dead-end street. It's not going to really lead us anywhere. Others of us are pursuing the soul. Soul's a little longer, nicer street, but it's still a dead end. Most of us, though, have grown a little tired of the neighborhood and all the back and forth trips we've taken there. We long for something more than a routine walk around the religious block. We long for the companionship of God. We long for the assurance that we are not taking this journey alone, that he is walking with us and talking with us and intimately involved in our lives. We have all had moments when we've experienced something of that intimacy, moments we can't quite explain yet can't explain away, moments when God has touched our lives like a soft hand of morning sun reaching through our bedroom window, brushing over our eyes and waking us to something eternal. At some of these windows, what we see offers simply a moment of insight, making us slower to judge and quicker to show understanding. At a few of them, though, we see what we see offers a word spoken to the very depths of who we are. It may be a word to rouse us from sleep and ready us for a life's journey. It may be a word to warn us of a precipice or guide us to a place of rest. It may be a word telling us who we are and why we are here and what is required of us at this particular juncture of our journey. Or, in a startling, sun-drenched moment of grace, it may be a word telling us something we have all longed to hear for all of our lives, a word from God. A word so precious it would be worth the most arduous of climbs to hear the least audible of its echoes. Windows of the soul is where we hear these words. We need the journey of love. We need the journey of grace because it is there where God will show us who he is. It gives us the opportunity to know him in a greater and deeper and richer way. In other words, the journey you're taking, if you were to examine it, is it a journey of love and grace? Or is it a pursuit of self and soul? Only in the pursuit of God and the love of God can we find God. And can we know him better? 
Receiving love and righteousness also go hand in hand. Many times we think of God as God of holiness or a God of love. But in truth, the Bible teaches that God is both holy and righteous. And only in his holy, righteous, and loving, excuse me. Um, Only in receiving love can we really understand the righteousness that comes out of a pursuit of a love relationship with him. John says it like this, And now, dear children, continue in him, so when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. This is really an interesting turn of the phrase, isn't it? If you think about it, you, you think, hey, if you know that he is righteous, then you know that everyone who is righteous does what's right. No, he's saying everyone who does what is right, truly right, has been born of him. Well, I know a lot of people who are doing things that are right, but they may not be Christians, how do you explain that, John? Well, John is explaining this in, in a different context. He's saying, look, all of this righteousness, it comes out of a love relationship with God. It's not just doing what is right. It's doing what is right for the right reason, which is following after God and being in relationship with him. We, we see righteousness as just doing right, not being right. Then you look at yourself and you say, well, okay, Wait a minute, I'll, I'll dismiss the ones who are doing right, but maybe not being right. But I look at myself and I'm, I'm not even right. I don't know about you. This is me a lot of days of my life. Some days my biggest accomplishment is just keeping my mouth shut. It's not doing what is right. It is not being right. It's just not saying all the little funny things that are going through my head. I got tons of hysterical things going through my head. I've learned over the years, not everybody else thinks they're funny. I've learned that especially my wife doesn't particularly think they're near as funny as I do. So sometimes the biggest accomplishment is just keeping my mouth shut. Listen, righteousness is beyond that. Righteousness is who we are in him. Righteousness comes out of this love relationship. Holiness and righteousness should not be something that's both feared and guilt-driven and, and, and you just have to do it. If you're a follower of Jesus, you just got to do what's right. If you're a follower of Jesus, because you're so in love with him, you keep his commands. If you love me, keep my commands. It comes out of that love relationship with him because it's who we are. God is love. God is righteousness. Therefore, we in turn as his followers are that. This morning, I want to encourage you to receive the love of God afresh and anew. To walk in the love of God. A.W. Tozer says this, God is love and God is sovereign. His love disposes him to desire our everlasting welfare. And his sovereignty enables him to secure it. I know the language is, again, a little, I think you got it. He wants wants you. He wants your welfare. He wants your future. And because you're his child, 
and he is sovereign, he enables it to be accomplished. Hey, people, God is for you. God is not against you. When you were his enemy, he loved you so much that he gave his only son to die on your behalf. Now that you're a part of his family, how much more does he love you? How much more is he on for you? By the way, I'm not, those aren't my words. Those are Paul's. He's saying, get a glimpse of the love of God and the fact that you're a part of the family of faith. Let me close with these words again by Charles Wesley. This is one of the verses, really my favorite verse. There's that word favorite again. From Encanopy. He says, long my imprisoned spirit lay. Now remember, Charles, Charles has already been on a mission trip. It wasn't easy, by the way, to get to England, to that uh, prison colony of Georgia. I mean, it wasn't like a short flight. You know, it, back in the 1700s, it was a journey. His life had been lived. He, he was not a child or a teenager. He was a young man, but he was still a man. He said, long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. He's saying, from the eye of God himself became a ray of light into my life. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Lord, we thank you this morning for the incredible love that you've demonstrated when you came to earth and died on our behalf. Lord, we, I, I want to pray for every person here that we would receive this, this, this love that is unexplainable, this love that is so out there that all, we can, all that John can say is, where did this love come from? This incredible love that we should be called children of God. Lord, I pray that indeed, because of your love, our chains would fall off. We'd walk out of the prison. We'd walk out of the cul-de-sac of self. We'd walk out of the cul-de-sac of introspection instead of the light of following you, being with you, loving others well living holy, righteous lives. God, we thank you. We thank you for the cross, for the demonstration of love that resulted as a, as coming from your birth and life. Lord, may we receive that love, love afresh and anew. May we receive the gift of freedom and forgiveness. May we receive the gift of following you and being in fellowship with you. Thank you. Stand. We're going to worship God through the singing.